All this happens in real time, by the way. You're mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll play this song. I wonder how they feel about it. That's your prototype. You're testing. If they like it, you let the song play. If they don't like it, you switch to something else. And if that works, then you execute. You actually then go full on and then you measure. Okay, last time I played at this club, this happened. This is the amount of drinks I was sold. This is the music that I was playing. You start looking at all these things down to the light. Like when I have the light at this color, at this level, people dance more than this. Design thinking is everywhere, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That is so true. Welcome to the third season of the Simple and Smart SEO Show, the podcast dedicated to empathy-driven, brand-building SEO. I'm your host, Crystal Waddell. I leverage my obsession with user experience to help business owners just like you optimize your website with confidence. Thank you so much for being here. Let's jump into another great episode. Hello there, my friend. Welcome back to the Simple and Smart SEO Show. I am here with Ola King today. We are going to have an amazing conversation that I'm super excited about because you know how much I love user experience and the intersection of SEO. And if you didn't know, you're going to find out today how much I love it. So I'm so excited to welcome Ola to the show. Ola, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I am great. It's 8 a.m. I'm not a morning person anymore, but it's good. I feel energized. So that's a great thing. Yeah, it's good to know when you're most effective for years. I tried to be the person that would work after my family went to sleep and it just completely ruined everything for me. I was always tired the next day. I was never really efficient. What I found is if I can get up at five or six in the morning, I am more efficient from that period of 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. than I am the rest of the day. It's all downhill after that. Pretty cool. Last night before I went to bed, I actually had the top stats. Maybe... I am not a morning person because of my, the story I tell myself. So I don't know <laughs> what came first. Is it the morning person came first or the story? So I'm uh, going to try to change my story and see if my behavior or changes with it. So that's yeah. an experiment I'll run. Yeah. One of my goals for 2024 is to truly run my business the way that I've wanted to run my business. And that means working in the morning and then taking the afternoons off or at least having that afternoon time for myself and my family and just things that I want to do. So that's going to be my big experiment. So we'll have to check in with each other and see how it goes. Yeah, that sounds good. That should be fun. There are no rules. You make your own rules. I love it. I love it. So we were talking right before we got started a little bit about your journey and how you moved as a 17-year-old young man, moved all by yourself to Canada with no friends or family, and just took on life. And I wondered if you could start us there with your story. Yeah, it was more like 17-year-old boy. Like at 17, I, I looked very tiny. I looked like I was 12, probably. <laughs> but yeah, I moved, I moved from Nigeria to Canada. I do have a cousin in Calgary, which was a different province from where I eventually went, where I initially went in Canada, which was Newfoundland. So Newfoundland is in the east coast of Canada. Fun fact, it's the most eastern point in all of North America. And Calgary is on the west side. So extreme ends of Canada. And Canada is big country, just like United States. So I didn't actually see my cousin for seven years or so. So yeah, I, I had to make my own friends, my own family in Newfoundland. I like to say I went there knowing no one. But by the time I left, there was like 2,000 people that were my family. 
And it's shaped who I am a lot. Like it's allowed me to be very adaptable. And yeah. Awesome. I also want to give credit to Ola today because my son Asher is 11. And I couldn't imagine him leaving for university at 17 in another country. And he said, what was it you said, Ola, that your mother was very confident in you. And so I thought, wow, what a message. Like, I'm going to choose to be confident in my son versus afraid of what the world has to offer him. So thank you for being such a great living testimony of having no fear and total confidence. No worries. I just realized last week that my mom is probably the most uh, optimistic human I've ever met. The house could be burning. She would find some way to turn it into (laughs) something good. So uh, yeah, that's who I am. And uh, I guess that was an example of that mindset of even if it doesn't work out, we'll find you find a way. Wow. It's a powerful start in Canada there. So then what happened? You went to university and you graduated. Did you start in SEO right away or... What happened next? Yeah, what happened was I could not have scripted my career path. I could not have scripted it, but at the same time, in a long enough span, everything made sense. Before I left Nigeria, I finished high school at 16, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. While I was deciding, I bought a bunch of softwares, music software, Photoshop, Maya, all the Maya, yeah, for 3D animations. So I, I was just trying a bunch of things, just experimenting. I got good at Photoshop. I got good at music production. Maya, I was terrible at because I'm not an artist in the natural sense. But yeah, I uh, I was just always playing with those softwares and that was who I was. I became a music producer in a way. Yeah, I was not good at first, but I got good. A lot of the people I used to work with actually back in those days are some of the biggest acts in Afrobeats music right now. So it's crazy to see how that turned out. But yeah, so that was what I was doing before I left Nigeria. Then when I went to Canada, I was still doing music. That was what I was just doing after class, just to pass time. And I got known that way. So I would post my music on Facebook. I was very shameless about promoting. I would tag everyone that I knew might be remotely interested. They were probably annoyed at the time, (laughs) but... Sorry, I would never do that now, of course. 17 year old, very uh, eager to share your work. And then I guess people will see, oh, who's this guy? And then I got known in the music community as a producer and I would be making beats for people. And Newfoundland was boring. There was nothing to do. Uh, what everyone did was drink and go to clubs. And I was 17. The legal age was 19. So I could not go to clubs. So at the time I was like, uh, how can I get to the club? What, what can I do to get into the club? Because I was young. <laughs> then I tried fake ID. It worked, but I knew the bouncer was skeptical. As I was leaving one day, I saw the DJ. He looked just as young as me. He was an older guy, but he looked just as young as me. Then I had a crazy idea. I was like, I wonder if anyone actually IDs the DJ. So I would send like my mixtapes and stuff to club managers. And I got hired at a club and I started DJing. And just like my business was, no one I did the DJ. So I was a 17-year-old kid. Or at that time, 18. That was in the awesome. I wasn't supposed to be in the club. I was able to make some income that way. And it wasn't mostly for money, though. It was just for entertainment and also the socializing. And uh, yeah, that was, I became known as this producer, DJ. And I used the DJ to promote my music. I'll play what they like. And then I put this thing that they don't know. And sometimes just beats. I would make mm-hmm. mashups. Then I started posting that on YouTube. I'll post mashups of music on YouTube. 
And I didn't know this was SEO at the time. That's why I said it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. I didn't know this was SEO at the time, but I would find what other people are doing and try to reverse engineer it. I would listen to what's going on in the pop culture. Let's say Beyonce has a new album coming up. So I would try to guess what the title might be. And then I'll upload to use the title, use hot new Beyonce 20, 2009 or something like that. And uh, yeah, they were getting views. My I had two channels, one for my beats and one for my mashups. They were getting like over a million views at the time. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just hustling. Wow. That was great. And I got invited into AdSense at the time. YouTube stopped making money. But then they released the, I don't remember the name of the software, but the software that identifies for copyright DMCA. So they were able to see that mashups, it wasn't my original song. And I didn't know how to go about that at the time. I was a broke university student. I didn't even have a way to pay for a lawyer to figure out how that works. So I just gave up. So the channel still exists somewhere, but I just uh, gave it up. But so that was that. And then I was studying computer science in school. And as I was walking through the university center, I would see all these posters of events that no one looked at. Even I didn't look at it because I was always on my phone, but it was part of what I noticed every time. So that was me, my experience as a student. And then on the weekend, I will be hosting events. As a DJ, I had to host my own events as well because you just make more money that way. So I started doing that and I noticed that it was hard <laughs> to promote your events. So on one hand, you can't promote your events. On the other hand, where you are, where people traditionally promote events, students are not even paying attention. They're on their phone. So uh, at this time, there was already iPhone. There was already GPS-based apps. So I got an idea to create an app to uh, promote events uh, that are happening nearby. So I had no idea how to do this. I had the idea. I didn't feel as passionate about doing it because I wasn't sure. I, I didn't have a blueprint. No one that looked like me had done it. No one around me was doing it. I didn't know how that process worked. Then I was looking for a part-time job at the time. I was going through interview processes like at banks. And there was this particular bank. I went through five uh, steps or stages of their interview. And uh, I ended up not getting the job. And they actually didn't inform me. Like I was just waiting back for two weeks. I was like, oh, I was supposed to hear back from you. They're like, oh, sorry, we went with another candidate. And I was just like, oh, okay. I was so upset. And I just went home that day. I told my girlfriend, I don't want to have to deal with this process again. I'm just going to start my own company. Very naive. I was like, I'm just going to start my own company. And that very night, I brought out, I had a book where I write my ideas. And I just like, okay, what am I going to work at? Then I was like, oh, this one. Then I just started write, drawing the mock-ups. I didn't even know what mock-ups were called at the time. All I know is the first vision. So I drew that. I think I mentioned it to a friend. And then a friend said, oh, you know, someone who is a UI designer, I should show him. And then I showed him and then he was like, oh, this is good. Uh, let's do a mock-up, like a more lo-fi version. And then he helped me with that. And then I was like, okay, this is cool. Then I showed someone else and then someone was like, oh, there's this pitch competition that you should go pitch it. So that's how it evolved. It was just like, I share what I have and then people help me develop it. I'm honest, like, I don't know this. And then someone would say, oh, I know this guy, I know this person. And either they give me advice or point me to the resources or they help me themselves. I was a computer science student, but I wasn't the best programmer because I just didn't have the patience for the details. 
So I found one of my friends who was obsessed with programming. He became my co-founder. And then gradually, before I knew it, I had five people on my team with me building this thing. And I was very shy. I mentioned I was a DJ, but as a DJ, I never even addressed the crowd. I always Mm -hmm. had an MC with me. So I was always just the guy behind the board. I was too shy to look at the crowd. I, I just wanted to create. I was more of a producer. I wasn't a performer at the time. But when I was creating the company, everyone on the team were either too junior or they didn't know as much about the idea. Or my co-founder, he was too technical. He just didn't want to speak with people. And we needed to pitch this business because we had started spending money on server costs and stuff like that. So yeah, I had to pitch the business and I was not a public speaker. It was not in my vision at all, but I had to do it. And uh, the first time was a disaster. But just like anything else, you fail, you get feedback, you apply it, and then eventually just became part of who I am. And uh, the company eventually failed, but through the connections that I made during that time, I ended up working for another company in that ecosystem. And that was really how my career started. So I told them, what do you need help with? And they mentioned, oh, we need someone in support. And I realized that when I was building my company, the reason it failed was because we didn't talk to customers. We knew Mm -hmm. nothing about customers. We were, I don't know how to put this nicely. We were too confident in our (laughs) ability to know what they wanted. And yeah, that backfired. Yeah. So when I ended up joining the new company, I wanted to be closer to the customers. So I told him, whatever problem you have on your customer team, let me know. I'll help you with that. And then I was on the customer team. I did everything from support and then like account manager type of role and then education. And this was a social media marketing company uh, tool. So we were dealing with marketers. And in the process, I got to understand how marketers think, how they work, their world. And I got passionate. But from a customer team, you can't solve the problems. You're just taking the feedback. So I started thinking I wanted to move to products, but then moved to Vancouver. I knew I would start a company eventually again, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I started thinking I should find skills that would be useful to me. And I figured organic marketing would be useful. So Moz was looking for someone on their CS team. And I wanted to know more about SEO. So I joined Moz. That's how I got into SEO. Wow, that is so crazy. I've never had a conversation with someone who actually was in a UX position at some point. And even though you only talked about it from like your founder perspective, like knowing that you actually created low fidelity design, that's so interesting because I took the Google class. I'm still in the midst of it right now of become a UX designer. And that's where I fell in love with design thinking. And I had heard of it for the first time. And that comment you made about not talking to your customers, that is so common in just in businesses in general. It's interesting how we feel like, oh, we've got this great idea and we know it's a great idea and it probably is a great idea, but how people perceive it or how they want it presented to them is so important as well. And so I think it's just such a great point to make. I know people even now that they'll change their websites. They they already have customers. And they'll change their website, spending lots and lots of money without speaking to their customers in the process. It just seems like you learned so much in such a short period of time that it could almost encompass a career 
just in your startup experience till your time at Moz? Yeah, I I had imposter syndrome initially when people talk about oh, how long they've done this, they've done that. But then people who knew me, who were part of my life in that era, they saw how much I learned. They saw how much I grew. I sold my video games. I got off social media and everything. Literally my entire life was the business. I didn't do anything entertaining. I wasn't hanging out with my friends. If you have eight hours a day normally, I was using my 24 hours on this thing. So if I spent five years, in reality, it was more like 15 years of experience that normal people would have because that was literally what I was doing. I was dreaming of the business at the time. What was it like being a user researcher at Moz? Because that sounds like my dream job. And I just want to know what it was like on a day-to-day basis, like what you worked on, what the projects were like. Could you just give us a short synopsis of what it might look like to walk in your shoes for a day? When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, so I had a very strange role at Moz because the way I got into UX was also just I was on the customer team. Like I said, I already knew that customer teams don't solve the problems. You just Mm -hmm. listen to it. I was an onboarding specialist. We're talking to a lot of SEOs and they didn't just want to know how to use the tools. They wanted you to help them actually implement it. And I didn't know enough about, I, at least I thought I didn't know enough about SEO to do that for them. But I didn't like not knowing something. So they'll ask me a question. I'll be like, oh, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. So it got, I'll get back to you became like, I ended up having this repository of like knowledge. And I didn't know that I knew so much until I would read like knowledge-based articles on the Moz websites. And some things might not be very accurate or clear. So then I'll go mm-hmm. to the search science team and I'll be like, how is this supposed to work? And then they'll explain. I was like, this is not what the knowledge base is telling people. And then mm-hmm. they're like, okay, Ola, you're right. So the Ola, you're right. Ola, you're right. And then eventually <laughs> it came, oh, Ola, maybe you should come to these meetings. And then I started getting more involved. And then during the pandemic, I was on Clubhouse. I would hang out with SEOs. And that was really what changed my career trajectory. I would be there talking to SEOs. And then I eventually became known in the community as this Ola from Mars, who's always helping people. And I was sharing my knowledge freely. Yeah, I just started doing more. I hosted MossCon. I was doing all this uh, Whiteboard Fridays. Then it became clear to me I couldn't be on a customer team anymore. So I was like, I had to leave or I moved to product team. Luckily, the UX team, I had a good relationship with them because I'd helped them build a system for organizing feedback from the customer team. So they were just like, oh, you should come to our team. That's how I ended up on the UX team at Mars. I was the guy who was close to the community. I was the guy who knew about SEO more than the rest of the team. So I I was almost like a subject matter expert in the UX team. I wasn't experienced with UX. I didn't know any of the terminologies, nothing. But I had a very good manager who just, she loved me. She believed in me. So then we'd have meetings and then she said, oh, you should create this thing. And I was like, what's that? And she explains, I was like, oh, I used to do that when I had my company. 
So <laughs> every meeting it became like, I didn't know the proper names of the things, but I had yeah. done it in a shape or form. She'll give me like a description of what it is. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I can do that. Or I'll figure it out or whatever. And then that's how I did. And yeah, it was mostly just understanding what the product team is trying to build in. And then we go and find the best way to get the truth. So either we find qualitative data like you spend or chameleon or whatever tools we had at the time, or set up interviews with users or surveys, whatever we needed to know. So if we're trying to test a design versus the other, we use like usability test. If we're just trying to know if we should build a feature, then we might use things like a survey or even a longer interview that is just based on, tell me a day in the life of an SEO. What do you do when you wake up? How do you store your data? What other tools do you use outside of Mars and all those things? So yeah, just trying to understand users. So there's two things that you said in there that I want to revisit. The first one was that you said that the SEOs didn't just want more information they needed and wanted help implementing. And I feel like that's still an area of concern or a practice that's necessary and that people are desiring in their businesses, almost in every facet, but especially like with SEO and marketing concepts in general. How did you bridge that gap? For them to help them see this is how you can use this for your specific use case or your business. Yeah. So while that was going on, I was also using Notion to manage all of my work. And in the Notion community, I became an ambassador and then I was always creating all these things. And the same thing was happening in the Notion community. People were asking, how do I use this? I started helping people in the Notion community. I started doing consulting, Notion consulting. But I had my day job and Mars, that was not Mars's business. So I wasn't even thinking about it. But then you have customers emailing, messaging, saying, Oh, Ola should, I would like to talk to Ola. I would, I want Ola to help me do this, blah, blah. And of course, my response is, We don't do this, blah, blah. And then they're like, Why? Oh, can I talk to your manager? And then I talk to my manager. What do you think? They're like, As long as it's not like a Mars's responsibility or whatever happens then as long as it's like completely off stuff, like yeah. go ahead. So then I started consulting. So my consulting for SEOs was from that perspective. It was less about let's create a content strategy or let me troubleshoot your issue. It was more, you're using Mars. How do you use it better? So right. instead of click this button, this is what this button does. It's more of the, the actual uh, knowledge behind it. I noticed that you gave a talk about future-proofing SEO. So we're talking about SEO in 2024. What were some key takeaways from that talk you gave? Yeah, it's easier to start with the things that don't change. I I learned that from Jeff Bezos. So people will still be searching for information or at least will have a desire to find information, whether they want to search for it or have it delivered to them. I have no idea, but people would always search for that. Google, they are still a very important business. They will still be trying to stay alive. And then businesses will need a way to stay afloat, which means there would need, there'll be a need for professionals. So SEOs will stay. So that's the baseline. SEOs will still be needed. People will still be searching for information. Google will be trying to stay afloat. Then you start like looking at the landscape. What are the changes that are happening and how can it affect all those things? So there's TikTok is taking away searches from Google. Reddit is taking away searches. The ChatGPT and other generative AI products. And what do they help with? There are like four different information types, really. So there is the exploratory. So you are really just trying to get like 
an overview of an idea. ChatGPT is great for that. You probably will not need to go to a website to get information like that. After that, it's more of a research information. So that's more of a, I want to know, in, you want to know more information. So it's less uh, overview. It's more of a, what does this information really mean? That's the second step. ChatGPT can still help, but for some information like finance and health, you probably won't trust it. And then the next layer is the information that you really want to verify the source. So that would be things that you find on academic journals or dedicated website like Upspots and whatnot. And then the last one is research or relocation. So you know what you're looking for. You just want a place to get the exact same thing over and over again. The AI products are not that great with that because you can search any of them right now, five minutes later, create another prompt and the results are completely different. They're not consistent today. There will be need for websites for those types of information that I mentioned. So the ones where you need to verify the information and the one where you need to go back to a trusted, consistent source. So that's the good news. I don't know how long this advantage will last, but at least what is happening right now, there's the opportunity for websites to thrive, which means websites would not be going after or should probably not be going after the, what do you call it? High volume keywords. Keywords that are getting a lot of searches because people can find those same information. What is SEO? You probably mm-hmm. don't need that on your website. You find that on ChatGPT. But then the nuances, like how do I do SEO for a business with blah, blah, blah. Those are the things that you then create. And then the unique insights you get is based on your data. Maybe you're a software product. You know how people are using your product. You have data that other people would now have access to just from the nature of your business. By talking to your customers, you have insights to issues that they want answers to. You have things that they would like to know. You become like an expert as your customers. ChatGPT and honest AI products don't have the training data for those things yet. Those are the contents you start creating. You get closer to your users and then you start. When I say users, customers, audience, I use that interchangeably. Yeah, I started out selling on Etsy and then I started creating my own Shopify store and that's how I got into SEO. But when you are a seller that fulfills your own items and you make things and you have customer interactions, I am the customer service. I am the the designer. I'm the website developer. I'm the shipping department, all that type of stuff. So it gives you an interesting perspective on how all of these things work together. And so I think maybe that's why I was so attracted to user experience and UX design in general, because I was experiencing pieces of it like you were with your startup without understanding what they were, that there was an actual name for it. Could you describe the design thinking process for someone who's never heard of it before? So maybe they might make that same kind of connection that I did for themselves and the things that they do in their business. Yeah. So design thinking is a term I think that was coined by IDEO. It's a design solution firm in San Francisco. And it's basically, a it's not steps, it's more of a five considerations. It's based on solving people's problem by being an expert on what the people need. So empathize, you talk to the users, talk to your customers, try to understand. And if you can talk to them, find the data, but you need something, you need to be closer to the truth of the people that you're solving the problem for. I like to say you are the expert at the solution, but you're not the expert at the problem. Your users are the expert at their own problems. You are the expert at the solution. And even when it comes to the solution, you don't need to be the expert right away, but by the end of the solution creation, you should be an expert. 
So initially it should be like, oh, I think I have an idea to solve this. And then in the process of trying to solve it, then you become an expert at the solution as well. So you don't, basically you don't need to be an expert at anything. The dumber you are, the better <laughs> design thinking works. The first stage is empathize always. And then you ideate. So you come up with different uh, solutions. You bring some different options. You try to find what works and then you prototype the, a version of the idea that you have. This could be the wireframe that I mentioned. So for me, that was, I have this idea. Does this even make sense? That was my first prototype. So people call it, some people call it the napkin sketch. And then someone validates that idea. And then you move on to creating a more permanent version. So instead of using pencil, I'm like, okay, now let me create a version of this on Photoshop. No colors, nothing, just lines. And then, oh, someone validates it. And then you start adding more high fidelity to it. You see it in musicians, that's how they have demos. You see this mm. with uh, video games. They will have the first versions of when they do like the announcements. You see this with movies. That's why they have a lot of this Sundance Festival. Like they do a very short version of it just to prove the concepts. And then they go and expand on the idea later. Oh, I had no idea that's how that worked. Yeah, that's, yeah. Every creative field, even people that don't know about design thinking. I think design thinking wasn't mm-hmm. something that was created. I think it was something that was like observed. Even if you mm-hmm. listen to the creators, they're like, this is already happening. It's just a way to formalize this approach to thinking. Because people think of design as creating, as literally designing. But right. they start like design is, you no. Know, you should figure out how things operate, how things work, and then yeah. put empathy into it. It's so great that you put it like that because when I've tried to talk about it with uh, other people, I think that word design just makes people think art or artwork or whatever. And it's no, it's just how it's designed, like the steps of the process, like how those steps work together. So yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. Steve Jobs said that I think design is not how things look, it's how things work. Ooh, man, I'm right on Right there with Steve Jobs. Yeah, that's, it took me a while to understand that too, to be honest. It took me actually understanding it by experience of, oh, this is what I quote meant. Okay, I got it now. Yeah. And from a Shopify perspective, where I ran into it was when customers would come to my site and anytime there was a bottleneck, anytime they had to reach out to me because they couldn't do anything, obviously that was a pretty clear problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we can ideate. And I loved to brainstorm. So when I learned about ideation as a practice, I was like, that's me. That's what I do. That's my superpower. So I was super excited about that. But any other time where there was just a bottleneck of work stopped because I couldn't be there, it was like you creating a zap or duct taping those workflows together. That's That to me is design thinking, just creating solutions to problems so that everything flows, whether it flows exactly how someone else thinks it should flow is irrelevant. It's just that so it flows for the customer and the customer can get to the next step without any friction. So I just, I thought, oh my goodness, this is something that we all do to some extent or another. We just may not know that there's actually a way to learn about it, to do it more efficiently. Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes the solution might not even make sense to us. But mm-hmm. to the people who are the end users, it's the best solution for them. This is another one of those things I learned before I knew. So when I was a DJ, 
that was literally what you do as a DJ. You don't just go to a, an event or club or whatever and play your favorite songs. You look at, you read the room, you understand the crowd, what do they need? So that's the empathize. And then you start thinking of what will go well together. And then you start testing things. You don't just create, you, all this happens in real time, by the way. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I'll play this song. I wonder how they feel about it. You're, that's your prototype. You're testing. If they like it, you let the song play. If they don't like it, you switch to something else. And if that works, the other parts of design thinking, then you execute. You actually then go full on. Okay, this is what I'm doing. And then you measure. Okay, last time I played at this club, this happened. This is the amount of drinks I was sold. This is the music that I was playing. You start looking at all these things down to the light. Like when I have the light at this color, at this level, people dance more than this. Design thinking is everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That is so true. Oh my gosh. That's going to be the first clip of the show. It's everywhere. <laughs> Once you see it, you can't unsee it because that is so true. Okay. So why do you think that SEO is a UX discipline? I think even though the professionals know about, know exactly what they do, I think it's the name that gets people like confused because it's mm-hmm. called search engine optimization. So it gets people thinking they are optimizing for the search engines, but it was never about the search engines. It was always about the end users. Mm-hmm. Look at every update Google has created. Actually, let's even forget the update. Why Google exists in the first place? Mm-hmm. Google was a better user experience than the alternative search engines. Before the powerful backend, mm-hmm. the reason Google succeeded, first of all, was they just had one search bar <laughs> compared to they take the cognitive load away from the users. So Google has always been obsessed about users and they try to provide the results that benefits their users. And then SEOs started optimizing for that and then gaming the system, creating the right content, whatever you approach you wanted to use. But the commonality between SEOs and Google was always the users. So mm-hmm. for some reason, people just never paid attention to that. SEO was always about users. If you're about users, what function in the business focuses on users? It's literally in the name, user experience. Yeah. And again, it's just making things connect. If your user is looking for something and you have that something, you want to be able to connect them with your something. And yeah, I think that words that make up SEO are definitely misleading, but it's almost like they just left it off. Search engine optimization for users. And so people just took the first part and forgot that there was a person that was actually using it to get to whatever they're trying to find. What about uh, search intent? How important is search intent going to be moving forward? Extremely important. That's basically jobs to be done. So you can't create a product without having a jobs to be done. It's Mm -hmm. what's the purpose? This is this cup. What's the purpose of this cup? A cup that is meant to be functional is completely different than a cup that is meant to be aesthetic, pleasing, without having any function. It's mm-hmm. different jobs to be done. One is to provide, I don't know, comfort, beauty, whatever. And the other one is to serve a function. And the best example was the milk. I don't know if you ever studied jobs to be done, you know about the milkshake story by uh, Clay Christensen. Is the, he was the creator of jobs to be done. I may butch, butch the story, but just mm-hmm. a sh- summary. When McDonald's, they're trying to increase the sales of their smoothie. Instead of creating different flavors of smoothie or, I don't know, whatever ideas you could create for smoothie ideation, they decided to empathize, ask the people, why do you buy smoothies? 
oh, when I'm going on my long commute, I just want something that is thick enough that I can't finish it quickly. And also it's like feeling and, oh, okay. So it's more like something that actually it's meant to be almost like an entertainment. So that changes the solution. You're now not thinking like, oh, the most flavorful or something. You're actually, you know, trying to create a thicker or whatever solution they came up with at the end. But yeah, it changes the way you approach something. And same thing, search intent. Content that is meant to be like an overview, once again, should, you're not looking at 5,000 words article. You're literally looking at the quickest way you can get someone in and out. And if it's the intent is for someone to get, remove all doubts about an information, then you want to go as in-depth as possible. You want to start thinking about videos. You want to start thinking about audios and things like that. You want to understand what are they there for. Yeah, it, it will always be important. I think more than ever, because like I said, ChatGPT will take away the easy low-hanging fruits. So you also be almost be like a scientist about the intent of your users. And not just intent, by the way, the intent is what we say, context to what context do they need this information? I think that becomes more important as well. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. My next question was, can we go beyond keywords to understand it? And you already answered that with the jobs to be done understanding the context and what people are actually trying to accomplish. So I think that's fantastic. My last question for you, because I know we got to get out of here. You had mentioned uh, a little bit ago, just about how you didn't really see anyone who looked like you in tech. And I'm older than you. I was probably in high school when you were born. I don't know. But I never really saw anybody who looked like me in tech either. And when I was younger, this is how old I am. We had an Apple II GS and I had the little coding book. And I would sit there and I would for hours type it in the code. And it's, if you miss one letter, you have to delete. Yeah. Because back then they didn't have like a mouse where you could go back in and insert the and delete and then go find your mistake and then start from there. I love doing that. I would do that for hours. And they have a little green screen games or whatever. <laughs> but I never considered a career in computers. First of all, it was new. But I never really had a mentor or somebody that was ahead of me that I had I had one really great teacher. Shout out to you, Coach Stein. She got me involved <laughs> in the business program at the school. But beyond that, I never saw myself in the computer field. And I just wonder what it's like now, like the the diversity in tech and just your thoughts on that. Yeah, I totally understand what you meant. And even from my you know own experience as well, um, I only got interested in computers because I went to my uncle's house and I saw a computer there and I was like, oh, what's this? And I started mm-hmm. playing with it. And my mom, luckily, she recognized that was, oh, he loves that because I, I did it have a bit of an attention deficit when I was young. So anytime my mom see me pay attention to something, it's, oh, okay, he really likes that thing. And then she bought me like this VTech computer and then that became my thing. No mentor, no one telling me what to do or whatever, but that was it. And everywhere I went my entire career, I was just always the only one in the room, the only black person. Even when I was in Newfoundland, when I was doing all this pitch competition, sometimes my lack of confidence on stage was not because I didn't know what I was saying. It was because I look up into the room and it's all people that don't look like me that I'm looking Mm at. That was what actually encouraged me to keep going because I had a conversation with my mom this that so you could be the pioneer. I was like, oh, that's a good way to look at it. Instead of looking at it like there's less of me, I should be looking mm-hmm. at it like I am starting something new. And yeah. she said that to me because she knows I like start, starting new things. 
So that was mm-hmm. the thing she could say to me. But I started using that all the time. I'm like, I'm pioneering something. So by the time I left Newfoundland, the just me being the only person, it became like 10, 20 black people at this startup event. So that changed. I saw the power of someone being the guinea pig. Mm-hmm. It encourages other people. And yeah. when I went to Mars, same thing. I think I was the only black person in the office till I left, actually, which is sad. I was the only black person. And I remembered I almost didn't show up for my interview because I didn't know SEO at the time. And I wasn't too confident in my CS uh, abilities then, even though I should have been. And I remember looking at the office from the outside and it was, there was no black person and I almost left. But fortunately, someone was leaving the office and then they're like, oh, I, are you looking for someone? I was like, yeah, actually I have an interview. So then that broke me out of my decision of should I go or should I not go? And then the interview went great. Everyone was amazing. But that was the only reason I went through. And from being at Mars, I created the first DEI council to try to make a little bit of a change on that. And uh, I went to Afrotech. I saw for the first time in my life, 25,000 black people that looked like me. To answer your question, that was the first time where I was like, oh, there is more of us all around. But the problem is we all don't know. So mm-hmm. I guess that's where the importance of networking and then strengthening the nodes makes it better. Because if I am the only one in Vancouver or in Mars that I'm the only black person in Mars, there might be another only black person in Microsoft. But if we connect together, even though it's just we're far apart, but it gives someone else the visibility like, oh, no, they are black people here. And then it, it gets stronger. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm mixed. So like I'm used to being around a lot of people who don't look like me. Like that's just never been uh, something I think about just because I've always been the one that looked differently. But because I'm looking at you, I don't really notice that. I've noticed everybody else is mainly the same or whatnot. But I've noticed that there's a lot of men as well in tech and less women. And then I also fall into this bucket of this is not my first career. Like I'm old <laughs> or older or whatever. And so when you're coming into it, just for anybody listening, like no matter what kind of other you categorize yourself as, there is power in just stepping forward in what you know. And especially in technology, I think like you said it several times, we don't even know sometimes how much we know. My dad is always telling me like, you know so much. And I'm like, but I'm talking to a guy that worked at Mod. You don't even know how much I don't know. (laughs) Having those people that believe in you and say, hey, you know more than you think. And you just have to get out there and get with the others that are out there. Like going to Brighton SEO for me, that was huge because I saw other people and I realized, oh my gosh, you're, you don't just have to be like a 13 year old gamer to be in the world of tech. So I just want to say that I can empathize with what you're talking about. I can empathize with other people who may be looking for new careers after having a career change by choice or a career change imposed on them, there's room for you, even if you think that there's not. And then, like you said, you might just be the first one that brings other people along with you. So I think it's really powerful. I totally agree. Yeah. I think what helped for me was understanding that you're being a pioneer and the three things. One is pioneer. The other one is elephant in the room. Just (laughs) don't try to shy away from it. Like when I go to a conference, I'm on stage. The first thing I look at, okay, I'm the only black person. Cool. It's out of the way now. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, stories are important. The story you tell yourself is what shapes your experience. I could look at it like, oh, I'm the only black person and start, try to make up all these stories. I'm just like, that's what it is. That's all I know. That's the only data I have. I don't know why that's the case. I don't know what caused this. That's not the point right now. The point is I'm here on stage and that's what it is. And when I'm speaking, when I see a black person in crowd, I would look at them and I would say something that I know will speak to them. So that's when I'll say things like Brighton SEO. I don't know if you remember, there was um, when we we're on stage, where we had to give it up to the speakers and where you had to say one thing, one thing that people should take away. What everyone was saying, tactical things like this is how you do stuff. And it was great. I learned stuff on stage, but I realized that they, when I was looking at the crowd, there was a lot of people that it was their first time. They were new to this industry. They were new to this space. So a lot of things were just flying over their head. There was a lot of imposter syndrome. So uh, I was like, what can I do to make them feel more welcome? So my mind was like, it's okay to say you don't know. And then all the other speakers, and were like, oh, yeah, it's true. So that gives the people in the crowd the permission, like, oh, there's people that are supposed to be the experts. They don't know everything, which means I don't need to know everything. So I can be up there as well. And I could see the look on those people's faces that I picked out, like they felt more relieved. And that's what I try to do. I try to give my past self what I wish someone did for me. And that helps. And the other thing is just find something in common with other people. If you're in a room with other people that are all male or all black or whatever, that's your difference. But the other things you might have in common, you could both be gamers. On my first team at Mars, there was someone that was like, she was like 40 years older than me. However... She loves creating new projects and I do as well. So we geek out about that all the time and mm-hmm. we forget age, we forget experience, we forget everything. It's like, that's all we have in common and mm-hmm. it helps me integrate with the team. So that's always the first thing I try to do. Take the elephant in the room and then try to find something you have in common. Ah, that is such beautiful advice. Thank you so much, Ola. That's just, I think we definitely have to chat again in the future. And I hope that if you're at Brighton, that I can see there as well again the way that you exude empathy is almost tangible so if someone wants to connect with you what's the best way for them to do that yeah in the future even though it's not ready right now olaking.com <laughs> will be the home for everything me it's in constru- under construction right now so o-l-a-k-i-n-g.com and right now linkedin same thing linkedin slash olaking twitter just Ola King, so J-U-S-T-O-L-A-K-I-N-G. And yeah, those are the ways you can connect with me. I will respond to any of, of those places. Okay, awesome. And I will put a link to all of those connection opportunities in the show notes. And definitely, guys, if you love today's episode and you love the Simple Inspired SEO Show podcast, I would be so grateful if you could give us a follow or subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast and definitely share with a friend. If you found something useful or powerful in today's conversation, share with a friend and let us get in front of more people who are interested in SEO and UX and how all of these creative digital disciplines work together. Ola, thank you so much for being here today. You're amazing. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. And thanks for reaching out. It was nice uh, that you reached out at Bryson. Hey guys, this is Crystal, one of your co-hosts from the Simple and Smart SEO Show podcast. If you're looking for a unique, handcrafted way to spruce up your home or office, then collagenwood.com is the perfect place for you. 
We are a small woman-owned business that offers a range of beautiful wooden signs for your home or office. Our talented team of artists will work with you to create a sign that perfectly suits your needs. So why wait? Use promo code SIMPLE10 to save 10%. Visit collagenwood.com today. Save 10% with promo code SIMPLE10. That's collagenwood.com. 